The Gospel according to St. John, chapter 21. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your nets on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the nets in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. This is the Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, Easter Sunday is two weeks ago already. And for those of you who were here on that Sunday, it's quiz time. What was the sermon about on Easter Sunday? He is risen, sure. are like, well, Pastor, that's two weeks ago already. I mean, come on, you know how much has happened in the last two weeks? Well, if you need a hint, take your service folder, look at the front of it, because on Easter Sunday, we kicked off our Easter season sermon series called Life Begins Now. And so the focus on Easter Sunday was about how true life in Christ begins right now, because, because of the empty tomb, your past is forgotten by God. All of those sins buried in that tomb. He was raised to life for our justification. We are not guilty. You are, your conscience can be clear. All the guilt taken away. Because of Easter, your future is completely different. You have the hope and the certainty that because Jesus lives, you too will live forever. And even right now, today, you have new life. A life with peace, a life with the promises of God, a life of resurrection power, a life of purpose. So how's that going for you? I mean, it's been two weeks. Has your life been turned upside down since you heard that message? You're all still sitting here. I, I mean, I don't think any of you that I can know have decided that you're going to become missionaries and take your families off to some far remote place. No one called me in the last two weeks and said, Hey, pastor, what neighborhood can I go to and knock on doors and personally share the gospel of the risen Savior? None of you that I know of have sold all of your belongings 
and given them to world missions to spread this message to every continent? I don't know of any of you that I've heard that have enrolled in seminary. How has your life changed over the last couple of weeks? And I wasn't expecting any of those at all. <laughs> because the fact is that while Easter does change everything, it changes our past, it changes our future, and even changes our life right now and what this life is all about. The fact is I know that once Easter Monday came, those health problems were still there. That in the last two weeks, the having to parent that difficult child or caring for that elderly parent or that strained relationship probably hasn't gotten any better. Or the financial struggles just haven't magically disappeared. Because while Easter changes everything, there's still this life and the things that never seem to go away. The ordinary that you have just become used to dealing with, that have become your normal. But the fact is that even though you've got to face these battles and face these struggles and face these troubles that didn't just magically go away, God comes with his promises and his peace and his power. You know, we, we were on riding on a high on Easter Sunday, right? I mean, there was smiles and there was joy and there was just singing and shouting, He is risen! And that, that joy and that high of Easter, how quickly did it take for that to just kind of disappear? How long did it take for you? I mean, is that Easter peace and that Easter joy that you felt that day just in the rear distant mirror? You can hardly even remember it anymore because of everything that's gone on in these last two weeks. The struggles you faced, the pain you felt, the sadness you've endured, the loneliness, the struggles. And if that's the case, you're not alone. Maybe the disciples were feeling that way too. Here in our, our gospel lesson from, from John 21, the disciples are in Galilee, way north of Jerusalem, a 70-mile trek. And that's where Jesus had told them to go. And here they are, and they're probably wondering what's next. They're feeling anxious, feeling confused, not sure what they're supposed to be doing. Just think about everything that they've been through up to this point. The roller coaster. These, these are men that Jesus had specially chosen to be his followers three years before. And, and how awesome was that? Three years of getting to spend with Jesus. And, and they were willing to leave everything behind to do that. Their families, their livelihoods, all the comforts of home to follow Jesus. And that was just, that was amazing. What a high. But then, but then the lowest depths of despair and hopelessness. As they saw their friend and their brother and their God and their Savior suffer and die. And for roughly 36 hours to, to be in this state of fear 
in despair, having no idea what this meant or what was going to happen next. Uh, but then, that, that, that Sunday morning, those reports started to come in. Right? There were some of the women who, who came back and said that they had gone to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body for burial, and, and the stone was rolled away, and the tomb was empty. And then there was a report from some of the women that, that some angels had appeared to them and, and told them that Jesus had risen from the dead. And Mary Magdalene even got to talk to Jesus, and, and Peter saw him. And then there were two disciples who were walking on a road to a town called Emmaus, who Jesus came along with, and for miles they didn't recognize him. But they sat down for some dinner, and then their eyes were opened, and then he disappeared from their sight. And then that very Easter Sunday evening, he appeared to those disciples in a locked room, except for Thomas. He wasn't there. We heard that in our gospel lesson from last week. And then the Sunday after, Thomas was there, and he appears to them again, just think about the roller coaster that these guys have been on. From despair to joy, from, from fear to excitement. And now here they are, and they, they haven't seen Jesus for a while, it seems. Here up in Galilee now, and wondering what's next? What does this all mean? They're trying to figure out how to deal with what to do next. And so what do you do when you don't know what to do? <laughs> you do what you're familiar with. Peter says, I'm not sitting around anymore, guys. I'm going to go fishing. Anyone want to come along? And the other six are there and say, yeah, let, let's just go fishing. That, that's what they knew. That, that, was, that was their lake, the Sea of Galilee. They knew it. Many of the guys who go out there, that was their profession beforehand. And so they head out for a, a fishing excursion. But these professional fishermen spend all night on that lake that they know like the back of their hand and they catch nothing. They are skunked that night. And so while they've been maybe confused and unsettled and, and just you know, filled with all these questions now, they're maybe feeling on top of that discouragement. Like, we can't even fish. But then, as it's time to come in, the sun's coming up, about time to come into shore. There's some guy on the shoreline who, about 300 feet away, who shouts out to them. Says, you, you guys been out there all night and you haven't caught anything? And, and you know, like, like good fishermen, they don't tell tales. They don't tell about the big one that got away. They say, no, no, we haven't caught anything. And this random guy on the shore tells them, why don't you throw your nets on the other side of the boat? I think you'll find some there. Now, I love to fish. And I've been on many boats with fish locators. And I don't trust those things for anything. <laughs> those little blips on the screen, there's never any fish there, it seems. But, but this random guy on the shore is, is telling these professional fishermen, why don't you try the other side of the boat? And maybe with some shrugs of the shoulders and some eye rolls, they do it. And the catch is so big, they can't pull the nets onto the boat. We hear later on in the lesson that it's 153 fish. Seven adult men, fishermen, can't pull this thing on board. There's so many fish in it. 
after not catching a single fish all night long, 153 in one throw of the net. And John is not much of a help. Because John is looking over at the shore and squinting, trying to make out, who is this guy? Maybe looking down at the net and all the fish and looking back, and, and then it hits him. And then John says to Peter, Peter, you know what that is? It's Jesus. It's the Lord. And Peter, good old Peter, drops his part of the net, and he jumps in the water, and he swims that hundred yards to shore. The boat follows behind, and they can't even get that, that, that net in, so they're just dragging the fish behind the boat. And they finally get there, and, then, and, and Peter is there, and he's soaked to the bone, and he's tired. And, and, and those disciples, other six disciples, they're tired because they've been out all night, and they just drag this big net full of fish 100 yards. And there's Jesus. And he says to them, Bring me some of those fish you caught. Catch that, that you caught. Jesus has a shore breakfast all set up for them already, but you know, now they've got a party of eight, so they need a couple more fish. Bring me some of those fish. And he has breakfast with his disciples on that shore. How that must have filled or refilled these disciples with joy and peace and comfort. And not only that, but, but to again be reminded of who this Jesus was. To experience this miraculous catch of fish. Where there's no fish and all of a sudden there's 153 in their net and this net does not tear. A reminder that this is God in the flesh right standing in front of us. Risen from the dead. Jesus takes something ordinary like fishing. And he makes it into something extraordinary for these men. For their peace, for their comfort, for their joy, to show them his power. And friends, Jesus works the same way in your life too. Jesus is a master at working through the ordinary to do extraordinary things to take the menial and the mundane and the normal of this life and to do something amazing with it. That is what Jesus' specialty is. When Jesus is involved, there is nothing that is ordinary. Nothing at all. Maybe you have to go again tomorrow to the same job that you've gone to for years. A job that you really don't like. A job that you feel doesn't really make any difference in this world. But Jesus can take the ordinary and make it into something extraordinary. And he does. As others get to see Jesus through you. As you work hard. As you work faithfully. As you work selflessly. As you earn a living to support your family. To give glory to God and to bless others. Those same daily health struggles that you deal with day after day. What has just become your ordinary of struggling through, Jesus can make extraordinary too. 
Because through a peace and a patience and a perseverance that can only be inspired by the risen Christ, you, in your struggles, can show the mercy and the love and the care of your God with others who are struggling too. As you struggle to deal with a parenting of a child or caring for an aging parent or that strained relationship that just doesn't seem to get better, Jesus can take that ordinary of your life and make it extraordinary too. To remind you of the forgiveness for every sin at the cross. To fill you with his compassion and his gentleness and his kindness that you get to then show to others in your life. You see how Jesus can take the ordinary, mundane, menial, everyday things of this life and make them into something absolutely amazing and extraordinary? You know, God does not promise anywhere in his word that the circumstances of your life will be different. But you know what he does promise? He promises that through the circumstances of your life, he will make a difference for you and through you and to others. When you know his peace and when you know his power and when you know his promises and when you know the joy that goes beyond all understanding, beyond the things of this life, the joy that is only found in the risen Christ. And even all of this, even all of this isn't from you. God is a master of working through the ordinary. You know that. God works through the ordinary things of this life to do his extraordinary work, such as words spoken and read and heard and believed. Here, God does his mighty work to bring you to faith through his promised Holy Spirit and strengthen you in your faith and keep you in that faith. Through the ordinary, through words, God does the extraordinary. Through the ordinary, like water, connected with that powerful word, God does something extraordinary as he takes you from certain death to the promise of life. As he washes away every sin and makes you his dear child. Through an ordinary thing like water, God does extraordinary things for you. Through ordinary things like bread and wine, God does the extraordinary. Attaching his promise, his word of gospel promise, given for you, shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins, to give you the power and the desire to live a godly life. God does the extraordinary through what seems so ordinary to us. That's the way our God works. Through water and bread and wine and words, God does extraordinary things and he does the same thing for you. Through the ordinary of your life, God does extraordinary things 
and through these means of grace, we see clearly who our Jesus is. We see clearly what the empty cross means for us. We see clearly what the empty tomb means for us. A life filled with peace. A life filled with resurrection power. A life filled with his gracious promises. A life filled with purpose. That we get to live for the one who lived and died and rose for us. That is what our lives are all about. And what we get here is way better than any shore breakfast with Jesus. We get every spiritual blessing that we could ever want or need through these means of grace. And the awesome thing about this is you don't have to leave everything behind. You don't have to give up the things of this life. And it doesn't matter what your age is or what your profession is or what your health is. It doesn't matter. None of that matters. What matters is what God has said about you. What God has made you to be. His own child right now. A life filled with purpose. That no matter what you do, no matter where you are, no matter what the circumstances of your life, Jesus takes those ordinary things and uses them for extraordinary purposes. That's his work. That's what he does. And, and, you know, maybe your life isn't what you want it to be right now. Maybe, maybe you're at a place you're, you never dreamed that this is what your life would be like. But think just a little differently this morning. Think about what the purpose of your life really is. Jesus didn't do everything to give you eternal life. Like, be born suffer and die and rise. He didn't do all of those things for you to have eternal life, to not give your life right now purpose and meaning. Jesus did not rise from the dead, rise from the dead for your life to just be mundane and purposeless. No. Even through all of the ordinary things of this life, Jesus longs to do extraordinary things. And, and so maybe it's okay that, that Easter's already, Easter Sunday's two weeks in the past and it's seemingly life is back to the same old, same old. Because it's in those things that we realize the power of God and we realize the grace of God. That we get to see who we are. Sinners redeemed. Those bound for hell, now heirs of eternal life. Those once who belonged to Satan, now children of the Heavenly Father. And now, friends, we get to live in that. We get to proclaim that. We get to go and make known the extraordinary love of our Savior that He has first shown to us and now, through all the ordinary of our life, make it known that extraordinary love. God bless you in that. Amen.